Well, Jennifer kind of got us started off this morning by, by reminding us it is Thanksgiving weekend and saying we've got a lot to be thankful for. Uh, that may seem like a strange thing to talk about in 2020 because we spend most of our time waking moments anyway, being bombarded with all the messages of all the stuff that's gone on in 2020 that we're not necessarily thankful for, right? The fact that we're having to wear masks, I think the, the, the fact that we have a lot of restrictions or limitations put on us that we've not had. There are a number of things we're having to deal with that we would really rather not deal with. In addition to the, the normal comings and goings, we've got uh, uh, an increasing polarization in our country racial unrest, political divide, so on and so forth. And so I challenge you this morning to stop and think in the midst of all of that, in the midst of, of maybe economic difficulties, in the midst of just the normal trials and, and difficulties we have in life, what are you particularly thankful for? What are you thankful for this morning? What are you thankful for in your life, the life of somebody you know? What are you thankful for? Now we've got an opportunity this morning, so I'm going to make that a real question. Just shout it out. All things. All things. All things. Thanks, John. Absolutely. Family. Family? Yeah. What else? Nature. Say it again. Nature. Nature. Music. What else? Salvation. Salvation. Sure. <laughs> Babysitters. Now, now we're starting to get real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God's love and His gentleness, His faithfulness, His pursuing us. Sure. Anything else? Be faithful. What are you thankful for this morning? Someone else cooking the turkey. That's right. Thanksgiving holidays with, with friends. I wonder if you're thankful for stories this morning. There are a number of stories in our lives, right? The story of our life. But there's stories that go on in and out of our comings and goings. Stories that, that not only are of what we're experiencing, but speak to what we experience. There are stories that inform us. There are stories that encourage us. There are stories that maybe disappoint us. There are stories that sometimes are very disheartening to us. But stories are a part of our lives. And through stories, kind of like songs, we often learn and we tend to remember. One of the things that I'm thankful for or the stories that God has given us to remind us of who He is and how much He loves us, what He has done for us. Because it's so easy to forget. It's incredibly easy to get caught up in all the muck and forget about all the love and the faithfulness and the incredible work that God has done and is still doing to bless us and to make a better way for us. We've been studying Acts, and I invite you to turn there this morning if, if you've not already done so. We are in chapter 8 of Acts. We, we began that chapter last week with a story of, of Philip, who was a disciple of Jesus, but not one of the apostles. He was one of the ones chosen to help 
take care of the community, in particular some of the widows that were in need and not being cared for. And yet God began to use Philip far beyond just that task of that responsibility. He began to use Philip to get his word out, to spread his message. And we're going to pick up again with that this morning, starting in verse 26, and we'll go to the almost to the end of the chapter. <coughs> Philip was... Philip was one of these disciples, apparently, that was just faithful. He was just obedient. He was apparently a man willing to serve, not necessarily in a, in a glamorous role, but faithful enough that God would choose to use him in some pretty remarkable ways. It's an encouragement to me to read about guys like Philip, because while the the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot of his, his qualifications. Apparently his faithfulness and his obedience was enough for God to use him in some incredibly wonderful ways. You see, he was, he made himself available and he was, he was instructed by the Spirit of God, which is where we pick it up in 20, verse 26 this morning. The Spirit of the Lord just simply gave him a command. And like often, God doesn't lay out all the details. Sometimes we wish He would give us a lot more insight. Sometimes we wish He would just flesh it all out for us so we know exactly what He's calling us to. But other times, particularly after we've gotten down the road a little bit, maybe you, like me, are thankful that He didn't give us all the details. I'm not sure I would have gone, Lord, if You would have told me. But also... I'm not sure I would have had the confidence to go because I don't know that I, I man, I, I don't think I would have done this. The Spirit said, Philip, go down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's in a southward direction. And in particularly, if you know the geography, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of this morning, but there's a couple of things I want you to know. If you know the geography south of Jerusalem, well, it gets to be pretty barren. There's a desert down there, a very large desert. There's not a lot to go to. And so you might expect that Philip would have some questions like, so where are we headed? You know, kind of like way back beyond that when God called Abraham. He just said, go to the place I'm going to show you. And that's all he told him. But like Abraham, Philip was faithful. And it simply says in 27, he started out, headed down this road. And then things began to happen. Philip encounters this Ethiopian. And I can't tell you which Ethiopian because the story doesn't tell us. I mean, it tells us a little bit about him. He apparently was a pretty significant person. This Ethiopian, referred to a little later in the passage as a eunuch, was a significant official in the queen's court of the land of Ethiopia. He had a ton of responsibility. He was over the treasury, and he had influence and power. This was not some average Joe. This was a, this was a man of great influence, and he had apparently been to Jerusalem to at least observe, probably worship, although we don't know a lot about his connection to the faith. We don't know, for example, if he was a Jew. It's likely, being where he was from, that he was 
maybe just a God-fearing Gentile. Maybe he was one who had, had come to, to know about the Jewish faith, but hadn't really stepped in it. It's possible, I don't know how much you know about eunuchs, but it's possible that this man was, well, to save the graphic details, not able to have children. Because eunuchs had been, some eunuchs had been castrated. And in the Jewish faith, that would have kept you from being a part of, a part of it. We don't know that. The story doesn't tell us. It simply says a eunuch, and it could be that that was just a title referring to the role and responsibility that he had. Nevertheless, this man, this eunuch, was on the way home, having been to, to Jerusalem. And he's reading. He's reading out loud. And the Spirit tells him to move on up close. Verse 29, he says, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Yours may be a little different, but it's the same general idea. He says, go on over and, and get up close where you can hear him. And Philip begins to realize that, that this eunuch is reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he says to him, do you know what you're reading? Now, I, I don't know a lot about the way that culture was, but I know today if, if God told me to, to just go in a direction for a purpose that I didn't really know, and then I encountered somebody who was obviously in a significant position, a, a, a man of prominence, and I heard him reading, I'm not sure that I would just instinctively think to go up and question him, hey man, you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're reading? It's rather bold, John, that's right. I mean, So as we go through the story, I want you to begin to think about something. Philip was just a disciple, like you and me. And God had given him a task without a lot of details. And he does some pretty bold things just because God asked him to. Imagine yourself being Philip. And what must be in you? What must be a part of your way of viewing life in order to do what Philip did? So again, he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, not what we might expect. Yes, thanks. I got it. Excuse me? Any number of responses. What he says is, how can I unless someone instructs me? It's almost as if there's a conversation going on between these two guys who know nothing about each other. It makes you wonder if there's a third party involved. Now, Philip, being engaged in this conversation, replies when the Ethiopian asks him, hey, or invites him, come on up in the, in the carriage with me. And Philip begins to explain what he was reading. Now the story gives us the scripture and I'm going to read it for you but I want you to know that this is a quote from the prophet Isaiah. And so if the story just in these verses seems a little short like it doesn't give all the information that's because he's relying on the fact the, the writer of the story that 
that the original audience would have already known this story. They would have known it well, and he just needs to give this portion of it to clue in to their memory. What he says is, he was led like a sheep. This is the story that he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Not exactly a cheerful Thanksgiving message, right? Led like a sheep to the slaughter. Didn't open his mouth. We're assuming in self-defense. He didn't question the fact that there was no justice. He was humiliated and taken before he could have any descendants. You'd be hard-pressed to find blessing in this. And perhaps if you were reading this, you might not even want an explanation. Maybe you just want to skip on to the next story. And yet this man seems to be very interested in understanding it. He asks Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began right there with that verse to explain the whole story, the whole narrative of Scripture as it points to Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Again, you listen to these words, even those of us who are familiar with this passage. And it's a little hard to describe or to arrive at good news out of such a story. If you'll bear with me this morning, I want to give you a little bit more of the story because it's important to understand what was taking place. So turn back with me to Isaiah 53. It is the passage most commonly talked about as the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord. And it's typically read either in maybe leading up to Christmas when we're preparing for the incarnation, for Jesus' coming and arrival, and we celebrate His birth. But it's also read around Easter as the one who suffered and died for us, and that is, in fact, what the story is, is about. God had said through the prophet Isaiah long time before Jesus came, in the midst of a dark time, in the midst of a difficult situation, in the midst of when God's people were struggling and they needed good news. And he tells them this story about a man who grew up without any particular special qualities. He wasn't particularly attractive. He wasn't particularly strong. There was nothing really about him to attract people to him. And in Isaiah 53, 4, it begins to say it this way. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. Which is not hard to imagine, right? How many times do we look at somebody suffering and maybe we know a little bit about their story and we think, 
Yeah, you made some bad decisions along the way. Look what's happened. Sometimes, if we know more of their story and we realize there have been a lot of problems along the way, we wonder, I wonder if maybe this really is God's punishment. And yet the story continues here and it says, no, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And then if I could fill in an expanded version of this, fill in my own words to flesh out this story, we've all left God's path to follow our own and we deserve punishment. We have sinned. We have wronged God. We have rebelled. And we have consequences to face. But that's not what the Scripture says. What this story says is yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet He never said a word. This begins the passage that was quoted, but it may be a little bit different when you read it because the story in the Old Testament written in our Bible today is according to the Hebrew. But there's another translation. It's the Greek translation. And that's what they used in Jesus' day most often. And so it's a little different in the wording. And so if you read these passages and they're a little off, that's, that's the reason why. Nevertheless, He was oppressed and, and treated harshly. He never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as the sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. In other words, the Lord laid all of our sins on top of an innocent man. Someone who didn't deserve any punishment at all. Now I want to stop there for a minute to say this is an incredibly familiar passage to Christians. Particularly People who have been in the church for a long time. We've heard this story over and over. And I think truly, I don't mean to put this on you. Maybe it's not true for you. It is true for me. And I think it's true for a lot of Christians. That even though I know this story, and even though I'm thankful for what God did, frankly, I mean, if God knows my thoughts anyway, you know, what's, what's the purpose of hiding something from Him? Frankly, I find myself taking this for granted. <coughs> I find myself taking this for granted. I'm thankful He saved me. I'm thankful that my sins are forgiven. But I'm not sure this passage, this story of unbelievable grace has the same effect on me day in and day out that it might on someone who'd never heard it. Let me go back to our story today. This Ethiopian, this man of, of, of power and position, this man who had a lot of influence, I wonder what his need was. I don't tend to think of people like that in great need. If I'm listening to people that I think are in need today, I'm not sure a guy like that would make the list. And yet, if you jump back over to the story in Acts 8, right after Philip 
finishes telling him this story that the God of all would put on one innocent man the punishment that we all through the centuries deserve. And he tells the story of the fact that this man came to earth and his his witness before him, John the Baptist, was calling out, you remember, repent and be baptized. And the message continued through Jesus. We must turn away from our sin and follow God. Baptism. The, the symbol, the act that we go through that in essence says, kind of just in a symbolic way, I'm going to I'm going to identify with Jesus in dying so that I can identify with Jesus in being raised from the dead. I'm identifying with this man. I am putting my life and my reputation and my word down on the fact that I want to be associated with him from here on out. Whatever you think of him, I want you to think of me. Because it's what he did that gives me new life. So this man, who didn't seem to need anything, immediately after hearing this and, and riding down the, the road a little longer, looks out and says, hey, there's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Why would he do that? He doesn't know Philip. We don't know what he needed. We don't know if he needed anything. Why in the world would this have such an enormous impact on a man in such powerful position that would move him to do something so unusual as to ask somebody who is not equal to him to go down in the water and baptize him when he had just heard this story? Are there stories that you and I hear that move us like this story moved him? When was the last time you heard a story? When somebody talked to you about some event or some occurrence and it moved you to this kind of action? What's stopping me from being baptized? Or why can't I be baptized? And there wasn't a reason, so Philip got down and baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Sounds like some science fiction movie. But it's not science fiction. He took him away. He moved Philip on to do something else. Philip's work was done. The task was simply engaging the man and telling him what he was reading. And the work of the Spirit through the witness of the Word, through the witness of this simple story, changed this man's whole life. Changed his whole view. Changed everything about him. And it says that he went on his way rejoicing. This man of this kind of position and power and wealth and influence 
went on his way rejoicing simply because of what happened in him after hearing the story. What kind of story is this? Who is this about? I don't expect you to never have heard the story. But I wonder today as we contemplate what we're going to give thanks for a few days from now, I wonder if this story might make it to our list this year. I wonder if, if this seemingly simple one-time act a long time ago might still have the power to move us. I wonder if reading through Isaiah 53 today or sometime this week might bring back to your minds in my mind, as it did this morning, the enormous, enormous gift that God has given us. The unbelievable love that Jesus demonstrated by allowing Himself to undergo what He underwent. That we might be saved. That we might have new life. That we might be free from all the other stuff such as the year 2020 has given us. <clears throat> I wonder in the midst of all the things we're dealing with right now and wishing we were out from under, I wonder if this story might speak of something of far greater importance. I wonder how it might affect us. This story doesn't tell us exactly what was going on in the Ethiopian's mind. It just simply says that he went on his way rejoicing. When the Spirit of the Lord is free to move in you and me, when we open ourselves up to God enough to say, I'm listening, Speak whatever you'd like to speak to me. I'm listening. And we read His Word to give Him an opportunity to bring to our minds from the very mind of God. I wonder what's possible. I wonder what change might happen in your life and my life. I wonder what might happen that would make us leave that moment rejoicing.